This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. This is it, the final weekend of the longest election campaign in Canadian history. And it all seems to be coming down to the wire. Today, we'll see where things stand in our final edition of our special Zoomer Radio election panel. Plus, it's North America's first fully digital hospital, and it's right here in Toronto. The brand-new Humber River Hospital is a state-of-the-art facility, and this week I had a private tour and interview with the hospital's CEO, Dr. Ruben Devlin. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. He was a true Canadian hero. Ken Taylor, the ambassador who helped six American diplomats escape Iran in 1980, passed away this week at the age of 81. In 1979, the American embassy in Tehran was stormed by Iranian revolutionaries and 50 people were taken hostage. However, six diplomats were able to escape and took refuge in the homes of Taylor and his first secretary, John Sheardown. Working with CIA officials and Canadian Prime Minister Joe Clark, Taylor obtained six Canadian passports containing forged Iranian visas that ultimately allowed them to board a flight to Switzerland. The entire incident was the subject of the film Argo, which received criticism for inaccuracy. That spurred the documentary Our Man in Tehran, which accurately depicted the events. Ken Taylor was a warm, elegant, and sophisticated man, And it was my pleasure to speak with him when the documentary was released. This was something that a friend desperately needed. They were holding 52 people, prisoner who had been charged with nothing. They were threatening to put them on trial. Khomeini had manipulated the hostage crisis to assert his own presence. This required a response. And certainly it was better than the U.S. declaring war, essentially, and and obliterating Iran because that was always a possibility. When your husband tells you he's picked up Playboy magazine just for the articles, you can now take him at his word. This week, the iconic publication announced it will no longer feature photographs of naked women. Beginning with the March 2016 issue, Playboy will instead put its focus on the investigative and in-depth journalism it was once known for. Playboy's CEO Scott Flanders says the prevalence of sex in our society played a role in the decision. Quote, you're now one click away from every sex act imaginable for free. It's just passé at this juncture. A pair of Japanese Zoomers surprised their son on his 20th birthday by quitting. Yuma Hasegawa opened what he assumed was a birthday gift only to find a notice of expiration of child-rearing services from his parents. The letter was written with love but indicates that since Hasegawa has reached the legal age of adulthood in Japan, he is now expected to become 
a proper, excellent member of society. This includes paying rent to his parents and being charged interest on any money loaned to him. The 20-year-old seems to have taken the message in stride. He shared the letter on Twitter, where it has gone viral around the world. And finally, a new study once again confirms something we've said here for years. Older women have sex and enjoy it. Dr. Holly Thomas from the University of Pittsburgh surveyed over 2,000 women aged 28 to 84. She found that nearly 60% of women in their 60s and older who were married or cohabiting were sexually active and as satisfied with their sex lives as women in their 30s and 40s. Just this week, actress Jane Fonda spoke out about Zoomer romance. She told a German magazine that she would love to break through the taboo about sex and older people, saying, just because you've reached a certain age, it doesn't mean you no longer have a sense of sexuality. I'm Libby Zneimer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. The longest and most expensive election campaign in our history will culminate with Monday's vote. Our Zoomer election panel convened one last time with Nick Nanos of Nanos Research, Dale Goldhawk, host of Goldhawk Fights Back, and morning news anchor and associate news director Jane Brown. We saw the uh, Liberals coming out of the Thanksgiving Day weekend with an advantage uh, that they've been able to uh, keep. It's been anywhere from six to eight points. The latest Nanos tracking has the Liberals at 37 percent, the Conservatives at 31, and the New Democrats at 24 percent nationally. So still a lead, a little bit of a tightening. How would that play out in terms of seats? Do you have an idea? Based on the numbers now, we're looking at a liberal win. It, this is kind of like 50 shades of red, if we're allowed to say that. <laughs> we don't know what the shade of red might be on Monday. My guess would be at 37%. They're probably in a minority government. And uh, depending on the vote splits, we won't know how strong or weak a minority that would be. Dale, um, did you notice uh, any spillover yet from this Gagne scandal? Dan Gagne, of course, uh, the campaign, the liberal campaign co-chair who was caught uh, lobbying <laughs> on behalf of of uh, the oil industry about pipelines while he was working, while he was co-chair of the liberal campaign, reminding people that uh, this happens under liberals. And, and Tom Mulcair said Friday morning, he said, nobody does this. Nobody hangs on to their day job while they're campaigning for one of the candidates, especially a day job that impacts directly on what a new government, i.e. liberal minority, might be doing. The only question here is, did Justin Trudeau know about this until it actually came out? Because he did react very quickly in getting him to step down. Yeah, but but still, these are this is one of his main people. Do you think, Nick, do you think that has legs? Well, I think it gives, uh, it makes for a neat and tar- tidy attack for Tom Mulcair because he's been lumping in the liberals and the conservatives in terms of their ethical behavior, so it allows him to do that. The challenge is, is this more important than time for change for average voters? Okay, well, that's the question. Is the ballot question still, it's time for change and we want to get rid of Stephen Harper? Yeah, I think when we look at the trend line in the polling, that's clear because, you know, perceptions related to the to the New Democrats and Tom Mulcair are positive, but their ballot numbers have trended down over the last two weeks, and people have converted into the liberal column. Stephen Harper has really missed the mark with his message. He has not stayed true to the course of his message and stayed true to his own identity. 
Well, it's got that desperate smell to it, doesn't it? I right. mean, we've got the Ford brothers. We've got uh, a brothel on every street corner. We've got drugs handed out to kids. We've got everything under the sun. They're throwing everything at that but the kitchen sink. And don't forget that he keeps saying the Liberals will cancel income splitting for seniors. I, I sat down with him one-on-one twice, yeah. and and I cut those assertions out of the interview because the Liberals have said Point blank, they would not do that. So that's when Hazel McCallion jumped in. Nick, what kind of an impact would that have? Well, you know, the thing is, is that Hazel McCallion still has a lot of credibility, especially in the 905 belt, the Mississaugas in suburban Toronto and even in Toronto. Plus, she's a senior, senior, a very vigorous senior, I might say, <laughs> because in the ridings that the Liberals need to win to do really well in the greater Toronto area, like outside of the city where we know they'll do well, it's a pretty important endorsement, and the ad could, could be really helpful to the Liberals. How will strategic voting play out, you think? Well, it's going to play out in the, in the cities especially significantly when we look at the Toronto area where, you know, a drop in the NDP support uh, will help the Liberals. You know, in 2011, the Conservatives won because of vote splits between the Liberals and the New Democrats. It looks like that phenomenon will not exist in this election, and it helps the Liberals. It'll help them in Montreal. It'll help them in Toronto. also help them in Vancouver. Final question. It looks like we're going to have a really high voter turnout. Will that lessen the impact of the Zoomer vote, Nick? No, I don't think so, and I'm not sure how much higher the vote turnout will be. Um, you know, maybe it'll be 3 or 4% higher, and I think a lot of that has to do with all of the federal parties are much better organized at identifying and turning out the vote than in the past. You know, the, the time for change, that mood is a much bigger determinant to the outcome of the election. And in terms of what the leaders should do, I think Stephen Harper should return to his statesman-like routine and get rid of the whole game show thing over the weekend. <laughs> he should stay on message. Justin Trudeau, remain sincere, speak more off the cuff. And Mulcair, go for the attack on both the liberals and the conservatives on corruption. He has nothing to lose. That's right. Okay, Jane, too bad they don't have you on their teams. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Dale Goldhawk, Jane Brown, and Nick Nanos, thank you so much. We'll have more on our new government and what it means to you next week. I'm Louise Nimer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. Healthcare is definitely a major issue that any potential government will have to face. This week, Toronto took a big step forward with the opening of the Humber River Hospital. In just a moment, we'll return with a look at the brand new state-of-the-art facility. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. North America's first fully digital hospital is opening this weekend here in Toronto. Humber River Hospital took four years and $1.7 billion to build, and it's designed to serve a catchment area with 850,000 people. Most of the patients who will pass through its fully automated doors, check in with the swipe of a card, and receive meds that were mixed and packaged by robots will be Zoomers. I got an extensive tour with Humber River Hospital's CEO, Dr. Ruben Devlin. When we designed the hospital, we thought of all of those other areas, other industries that, that are able to... Uh, handle a lot of people coming to their facility. So the 
So the first place we thought of was the airport. We have our portals of care where you would drop off um, your loved one at one of these doors and make it convenient for them to go into their clinic. If they're coming to the cardiology clinic right here, then somebody could be dropped off right at this door and walk across 30 feet to the clinic and it's less distance than they walk in one of our current facilities. This is the emergency department. There's five treatment areas. Is this going to cut down on emerge wait times because of the design in any way? That, that's the intent is to, to ensure that patients get to the area that they need to be and then we, we start the treatment as soon as possible. So there's many, many things that we've put in place about infection control and this is a no-touch door opener. We're patient and family centered and then people want to know what that is. We have no fixed visiting hours, so people will be able to come and see their loved ones as they need to, especially if they're critically ill. The other thing is if people want to stay overnight, they can do so. This is the chair, and I'll sh I can show you. This pulls out. I could have a nap right now. They're in every patient room. This is a bedside terminal for every patient that's in the hospital. And first of all, it's telephone. Secondly, they'll be able to access their health record. They can control the lights, then order your meal. What this machine does is wraps each of the medications individually and puts a barcode on the pill and that's sent upstairs as the medication for each patient. This place seems to be so vast and uh, you're using so many electronic devices. So. Uh, where does the human contact come in? Well, the, this is not technology for technology's sake. And I think about those four areas, quality, safety, efficiency, and customer service. First of all, it, I don't think it looks like a hospital. It doesn't feel like a hospital. We've tried to, we've tried to use bright colors. We've tried to use some wood accents. Uh, we, we want families to be part of the, of the care. It means that the, the staff will then be able to spend more time with the patients and the technology is not getting in the way, it's actually facilitating better care. So how much more time and how does the technology facilitate that? That's what we're going to measure. We, have, we had theories on, on what it was going to do and one of the interesting things that we're going to start doing is to, is to measure reality against theory. What does the theory say? The theory says that we're, uh, we're actually going to provide higher quality care with uh, similar numbers of uh, staff. Obviously, most of the patients are going to be older, they're going to be Zoomers, and that's increasing. So how will this affect Zoomers being treated? When we first started our, our demographics, we looked at the, the largest growing age group, and that was between 70 and 80. So indeed, we knew that the, the care that we were gonna provide it was exactly for that age group, and we need to be able to provide the services. The other thing is that we couldn't just grow, although we're increasing our inpatient beds by about 100, we just couldn't continually grow the number of, pay, uh, of beds that we have. We need to provide support through our ambulatory clinics, and we need to be able to support those patients at home. You had to like boil down the experience of being in this place. For a Zoomer patient, what would you say? I know nobody wants to come to a hospital, but if, if you've stayed here once as an inpatient, I hope that that when, when you've left, you say, if, if I'm sick again, that's the hospital I want to come back to because people treated me with respect with, and with professionalism, and that was, uh, that was important to me, and it seems to be important to them as well.
That was Dr. Ruben Devlin, CEO of Humber River Hospital. For the patient's perspective, I checked in with healthcare expert Michael Dechter, chairman of the board of the advocacy group Patients Canada. The ability to access health records in the hospital room, to access test results, this is what we dream that every patient would have, not only in hospital, but at home and, and uh, in the community. Uh, so, but this is a fantastic start. Everything is really uh, dependent on IT, on everything working. And uh, these systems were kind of presented as foolproof, including the mixing of the drugs, the dosing of the drugs. Everything is then barcoded. What level of faith do you have in this level of automation? Well, I I would make a comparison to the aviation industry, and it does turn out that um, automated uh, cockpits with a lot of redundant safety features do a better job than, you know, Happy Harry, the the bush pilot. So um, I, I do think that a lot of what goes wrong in health systems is cascades of human errors. Now, I'm not saying for an instant that you can't have a machine error. The place is vast. It's 1.1 million square feet. So, I mean, there's kind of a... Do you find that that might be dehumanizing in any way? Well, I I think vast buildings and, uh, you know, and and the kind of... um, uh, qualities that come with them can be depersonalizing. It depends hugely on healthcare how the people are, because it really is a people business. That was Michael Dechter of Patients Canada. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Weekend Review. We'll take a quick break, and then it's back to celebrate the birth of Chuck Berry. You're listening to the Zoomer Weekend Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. It's time for your international arts date book tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. Here's Jane Brown. In New York City, George Takei of Star Trek fame stars in a musical based on his childhood experiences in Japanese-American internment camps. Allegiance is in previews at the Longacre Theater. In Los Angeles, Steve Martin has opened an exhibition called The Idea of North, The Paintings of Lauren Harris at the Hammer Museum. The comedian, actor, and banjo player says he discovered Harris years ago and wants to bring the works of this group of seven painters to an American audience. To London, England, where In the Heights is getting rave reviews. It's a journey into one of Manhattan's most vibrant communities, where the windows are always open and the breeze carries the rhythm of three generations of music. It's at King's Cross Theatre. And in Rome, a new exhibition of leaded glass works by renowned British artist Richard Wright is at the Gagosian Gallery. I'm Jane Brown, and that's the International Arts Datebook. 
This weekend, the legendary Chuck Berry is celebrating his 89th birthday. He was a pioneer in the early days of rock and roll, reinventing the sound of rhythm and blues with hard-driving guitar riffs. His showmanship and extended guitar solos became a staple in rock and roll music. He inspired generations of guitarists to come, including Keith Richards, Eric Clapton, and John Lennon, who once suggested that if you tried to give rock and roll another name, you might call it Chuck Berry. Right now, we'll travel back to the peak of his career and hear his famous song that's almost autobiographical about a small-town guitar-playing boy with dreams of seeing his name in lights. Here is Johnny B. Good. That was Chuck Berry with Johnny B. Good. He's celebrating his 89th birthday this weekend. And that brings us to the end of another edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thank you so much for joining me today. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. Produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer, Moses Snymer. Produced by Paul Thomas. Program director, John Vandriel. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review. Heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.